1: Doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. And this podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Alexandra Levitt, author of
0: Humanity Works. What we're looking at there is the rise of what I call human-machine hybrid teams. I do think everyone needs to be prepared, though, that humans will need to work seamlessly with machines. The critical role that we're going to play is that... There's no replacing human beings when it comes to certain traits like interpersonal sensitivity and empathy and judgment and intuition and creativity. And so what humans need to be doing is looking for ways to add that value in any job that you have and see the writing on the wall, not bury your head in the sand with respect to what aspects are legitimately going to be automated and look to add value in different ways. My fear is not that people will lose their jobs, as I said. My, my fear is that people will not be able to adapt to the new types of roles exactly. that they're, they're going to have. How can I continue to add value? And this is a skill set that's kind of rare and everybody needs to develop. And I think the passive attitude is really destructive. We want to be active and recognize the future is not something that happens to us. It's something that we create.
1: This is Alexandra, author of the book, Humanity Works. Alexandra is an American writer, consultant, speaker, workplace expert, and futurist. She has written six career advice books and was formerly a national syndicated career columnist for the Wall Street Journal. In the last several years, she has conducted proprietary research on the future of work, on technology adoption, on the millennial generation, gender differences and bias, and the skills gaps. In 2017, she became a partner at the organizational development firm People Results. Her goal is to prepare organizations and their employees to be competitive and marketable in the future business world. And this triggered me, hence, I invited Alexandra to my podcast. We explore how the workplace is changing and how this is reshaping our role as business professionals. And beyond that, what we as people can do right now in order to create a future in which we can play an even more valuable role. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, that the most value will be created once humans and machines start working as hybrid teams. Secondly, why every single one of us has to act now in order to improve our human relationship skills. And thirdly, why we also have to master the way we do personal branding and self-marketing in order to survive in our role in the future. So to get started, Alexandra, can you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about, you know, what you've been up to so far and how you became a futurist and what's your drive in business?
0: Sure. Well, my name is Alexandra Levitt. I'm a business and workplace author, speaker, consultant, and futurist, as you mentioned, and Absolutely. I got the a start in the area of workplace because I wrote a book way back in 2003 called They Don't Teach Corporate in College, a 20-something's Guide to the Business World. And I wrote that book because I had been having a lot of trouble adjusting to the business world after graduating as a high performing college student. And after that, I started getting asked to do speaking engagements around the world for young people that were facing some of the same challenges in business. And in doing that, I would often get asked, okay, well, what do you think the future of the workplace is? Because these people are fairly young, so what do they have to expect? And I started making some forecasts associated with that and giving my best advice. Of course, no one can predict the future. But what I would do is, is try to identify patterns that were percolating up through the market that you would hear from time to time and try to assess what had the greatest likelihood of catching on in in a big way. And one of the early ones that I did was around career change. At, at that time, it was still pretty rare to go from one career into something drastically different, yeah. but uh, I kind of suspected that that might catch on, and, and it did a couple of years later. So whenever anything would catch on, I would get a little bit more attention as, as a quote unquote futurist,
1: yeah. and I,
0: I really enjoyed it. Uh, I've been interested in the future from a really young age. My dad and I went on a tour of the World Future Society headquarters way back in 1988. I was growing up outside of Washington, D.C. in the States. And we were really intrigued by the, the types of technologies, the types of developments that they were forecasting. And so uh, I've actually kind of had a personal, I don't know, a personal interest in it for a long time. So yeah. it, everything came together and, and now I'm, I'm really mostly making my living doing this type of work. Mainly, I, I work with organizations to help them understand what the trends are and how they can be implementing them today and how they can be prepared to be marketable and productive in yeah. in the workforce of the future and this book humanity works merging technologies and people for the workplace of the future is, is really the concrete manifestation if you were of all of the research and some of which is my own research some of it is other people's research and uh, identification of the trends that will really drive our workforce in the, in the next 5 to 15 years and i think what's really important about it is that i try to be very very action oriented so at the end of each chapter Like, okay, we've just talked about all these trends, but like, what do you do? If you're a leader, what do you do? And it's not just, what do you do in 10 years? It's what do you do today to be able to be prepared for this, these kinds of things to happen? So an example of that would be, all right, well, you've got all these contract workers coming in from all over the place. What can you do today to systematize your contract workforce so that you don't get into trouble with the powers that be and that things don't get crazy in terms of redundancies and performance evaluations and knowing one hand, knowing what the other is doing, making sure contract workers have the vision of the organization and everybody's talking the same message when it comes to employer brands. So those are just some examples of where I'm going to kind of ask the reader to work a little bit. And I, I think that's going to be to their benefit in the end. I hope <laughs> so.
1: Well, cool. I mean, it's, I haven't received the book yet, as I, uh, as I said, prior to the call, but I'm really looking forward to receive it. I mean, the, the reason why I started this podcast was – very much in line with the whole purpose of your book, I got pretty upset or pretty frustrated, so to say, with um, all the news in the press about, you know, we're going to lose our jobs because of robots and AI. And I think, you know, that's, it's, it's true to an extent, but it's, it's typically about things that we are lo- going to lose in our job that we don't like anyway. So I think the, the real value is going to be when you really combine humans and machines. And I think that's what your book is going to be all about, right?
0: Well, that's one aspect of it, Tan. I mean, it's the technology chapter is is really only one part. A lot of it is about human-related st- human competencies and what we need to be doing as leaders to develop our humans. But there is a, a pretty robust chapter on the integration of technology into our teams. And so what we're looking at there is the rise of what I call human-machine hybrid teams. So it's not that machines are going to take over our jobs. In fact, all of the research shows that There's very few jobs that will be eliminated by robotics and by machine learning. Really what we are looking at is the integration of technology into a specific job that will take over a specific task. So you'll still have the job you have, but there will be aspects of it that will be automated. And how that will look sort of varies on the industry and the role you have, but I think the biggest implementation that I see to date is the integration of chatbots or really smart personal assistants. And uh, my favorite most salient example that's been in the market for only a couple of months now is Alexa for Business. And the idea of Alexa for Business is that it's She sits in a she's a little console that sits in a conference room and she can help you schedule a meeting, invite the participants, send reminders, order food, make sure the presentation is loaded and uh, you go you go there and the meeting kind of is run by Alexa, everyone just kind of shows up. So that's an example of where Alexa has become a part of the team. It's, a, it's now a hybrid team with a machine who's who's doing different tasks. And uh, that is where I see it kind of going for the next few years. Now, whether machines are gonna become more sophisticated and due to deep learning, are gonna do things like analyzing project risks and managing big projects. I mean, that that is probably going to happen. That's not where we are today. I do think everyone needs to be prepared though that humans will need to work seamlessly with machines. And, and what that kind of looks like now is that whenever you insert a machine or a technology into a human-driven process, you can't just let the machine go. Like, that's not how it works. So what the machine will do is basically what you tell it. And so you need a human being that's there to design it, to build it, To manage it, to fix it when it breaks or is not operating as intended, to figure out how to redeploy it. That's a lot of people who weren't involved in that process before that now have to be involved. So I actually am fond of telling the story. I'm working with one Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company here in the States. And I was talking to the leader who's managing the project. And she was telling me that there are no fewer than 20 people working on the integration of a chatbot into the onboarding process. So basically, there is this avatar that is introducing new hires to the organization and telling them, okay, here's where you find this resource. Here's the people you need to contact. We're really, really happy and excited that you're here. And uh, there are 20 people working on this. So yeah. those are people who had other jobs before. They weren't working on a chatbot. That wasn't part of their responsibility. And now now there is. So this is the kind of thing I think that people need to be getting ready for. They need to be getting ready to integrate these machines. And they need to be prepared to work with them, too. So those are two of the big
1: things. Yeah, that and, I, and I see this. One of the things that, uh, that was highlighted in the, uh, the reviews of your book, Was that it's an essential guide to understand the critical role human talent will play. Can can you elaborate a little bit on that? Like the typical, critical role we all play and and what it is all about?
0: Yeah, the, the critical role that we're going to play is that there's no replacing human beings when it comes to certain traits like interpersonal sensitivity and empathy and judgment and intuition and creativity. Until machines develop consciousness, these are going to be very difficult to replicate and to, and to automate away. And so I think that the the mass hysteria over automation is pretty overstated right now, the, there are just a lot of roles and a lot of industries that require these skills. And so what we need to be doing as leaders is we need to be helping people develop these skills. And as as we know, not all humans are created equal when it comes to these skills. And in particular sure. in particular, I'm very concerned about people in in technology and information technology who have really rested on their laurels for the past 20 years, because they have these skills that are so in demand and not a lot of people have, and they have not had to develop their interpersonal skills. And those are going to be some of the first jobs to be automated. So those folks need to wake up and, (laughs) and realize that there are, that they're going to bring other value to the table besides just knowing how to code. And so that's an example. And, and, when I when I illustrate what I mean about human beings being necessary, I love to use the example of nursing. Because over in Japan, they had a nursing shortage. And so what they decided to do was try to automate nursing. So they developed this big ro- robotic bear called RoBear. And the idea was for RoBear to take over nursing functions. Well, what they learned pretty quickly was that RoBear could only really do stuff like move patients in and out of bed and serve meals. They had to look at at some of the more sophisticated things that nurses do. So they they sit down with a a relative to explain a grave diagnosis and and offer empathy. They walk into a really big emergency and have to ascertain immediately what specialists they should bring in to help, given their years of experience working with those people. They need to walk into a patient's room and look in their eyes and be able to ascertain the level of pain that they're in. And these are really sophisticated things that, again, until robots develop consciousness and they become exactly like humans, we aren't going to be able to automate. And so this is the value that humans bring. And so what humans need to be doing is looking for ways to add that value in any job that you have and see the writing on the wall, not bury your head in the sand with respect to what aspects are legitimately going to be automated and look to add value in different ways. So that's what, we talk a lot about that in the book. That's a huge focus of the book. Yeah, I can
1: imagine. And I look forward to reading it myself. But I mean, I, I agree with you. There's these these skills that we had. Well, typically we had them all when we were younger. Uh, when we were in, in kindergarten, so to say, we're all creative and all problem solving in our own way. But I think we have unlearned it. Do you agree with that?
0: I think that, I don't know that we've necessarily unlearned it, but I do think it's out of practice for yeah, a lot of exactly. people. I mean, especially the the area that I'm most concerned about on this topic is the younger generation that's been raised on technology, because I think that they are just accustomed to handling conflicts, to doing things online via text, via instant message, that they really should be doing in person. And they're just not getting the, the muscle behind it that we all had when we were growing up because we didn't have this technology. And so they're the ones that I'm, I'm concerned about, because again, as we've been talking about, it's more important than ever that you have these skills. And so we need as leaders to be taking responsibility for training these young these young people in things like diplomacy. It's like when you have to address a conflict, True. you don't yeah. just email or text someone, you actually have to go to their office, sit down and figure out how to solve the problem. And that is, it's difficult for anybody, but it's really difficult for people who've never done it. When I go into a speaking engagement with Gen Zers, so they're the ones who were born after 1995. Yeah. And I ask them how many of you have broken up with someone via text? Like everyone raises their hand, like they've all done it. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like oh my god really you're breaking up with someone i mean that's like the worst kind of thing and and just in the workplace you can just imagine and you have a problem with your boss well, you just text them it's like no you don't you know yeah. it's like so th- this is this is the area where i'm most concerned the rest of us just need to kind of get back to that and stop using technology as a crutch
1: yeah but then you also get of course the whole change in the, in the marketplace in terms of how we work where we work i mean there's going to yep. be more more people working from home, more people working in virtual meetings. Yep. More more work that is actually done in sort of virtual teams that only last for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then you you know, you just move on. So it's not departmental anymore. That's of yep. course not helping.
0: Yep. Yeah. And we do talk about the rise of swarms or, or short term teams yep. that are focused specifically on a business problem. So they're assembled from all over the place to do a particular project or solve a specific problem. And then once that problem is solved or addressed or fixed, that team is disbanded and you may or may not ever work with those same people again. And so there, there are a variety of interpersonal challenges with this. First of all, you, you probably, as you mentioned, Tom, you don't, you don't see them. You don't, you're not in person with them. So how do you develop rapport? And then also it's just so short term, we're accustomed to working with people for two or three or five or 10 years where we really get to know them. We get to trust them. We yeah. get to establish what Stephen Covey used to call the emotional bank account, where you work with someone long enough and even if they screw up or you have a misunderstanding, you still have that base of having a really good relationship. And we just, we aren't going to have that as much. So <laughs> it's being able to, to really size up people quickly and to keep those loose ties in your network after you've you've met people who you may never see again but you still want to know if you ever come across them again can you trust them can you work effectively with them can you give a recommendation for them so these are these are things that are tough and people just need to practice and I, yeah. I can't. I can't emphasize that enough. That yeah. it's going to become more difficult for us to have these human relationships, and they're still necessary. Every piece of research that we see shows that when people work in person, when they really take the time to develop a relationship with another human, work is more productive. It's more creative. More business solutions are are arrived at. So the fact that we're, this is becoming harder doesn't make it less necessary.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's also another thing happening, or but well, that's what I expect from it, is that the, the job that you do today and the expectations that people have around the job or what you deliver as a as a professional, that's changing as well. I mean, I, I've just this morning been reading a couple of uh, papers around the challenges of, for example, the CFO and the, the whole finance department, where they've always been, you know, balancing the, the admin side and the compliance side with the performance side. And they all say they want to be more strategic, but they can't because they are they're, you know, all that work and all that time is being taken by administration and by these things that don't really add value. Now that when when bots come in, that will all disappear, which is actually a good thing. But then the question is, okay, so what are you going to do with that freed up time in order to to deal with the strategic side? And I think once you start looking into that, it's not only about, you know, being more creative or uh, having better problem-solving skills. It's also thinking about what else can we do? Kind of doing the things that we have... Possibly not even a help possible up to now. How, what, what is your what is your point on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think that this is going to be an issue that's <laughs> that's pertinent to a lot of people, and and it kind of ties into something else that I have a little bit of a fear of. My fear is not that people will lose their jobs, as I said. My my fear is that people will not be able to adapt to the new types of roles exactly. that they're they're going to have. So uh, there's a lot of people out there who are used to being pretty task-oriented. So their boss tells them to do something, they do it, it's in a box, they know what to expect, they know what tomorrow is going to bring, and the workplace is changing in that we have to be far more agile and we have to be, as you say, way more strategic about whatever it is we're doing and need to look ahead and say, okay, well, how can I continue to add value? And this is a skill set that's kind of rare and everybody needs to develop. And, and that's probably my biggest concern. And, and alongside that is having everybody be on their own or most people where you have to sell yourself continuously to new employers, prove your value, prove your worth, your expertise. It's another thing. I, I don't think a lot of people are cut out for naturally. And we have, certainly haven't had corporate structures that have supported that, but we're already at 25% contract workers in, uh, in the world by 2030, will be at about half. So that means you've got a 50% shot of being tossed into one of these contract worker jobs yep. where you're gonna have to sing for your supper. And that's, I think, gonna be difficult for people. So thinking strategically, being prepared for change, being prepared for personal branding and self-marketing, these are three <laughs> big areas where if you have not been focusing your attention on that, you need to be, and what I'm recommending to leaders, is that they help their workforces develop these skills because in the end, it's going to be in their best interest to continue to have relationships with people who might not be working full-time but still have a knowledge of the company and an ability to to do great work. Companies are still going to want to have relationships with these people who they trust. So if your people are going under because they can't handle the structure, that's not good for you no matter what structure you have.
1: So, That's true. <laughs> that's, that's spot on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, talking about... The, the impact, what do you expect as the impact of this, if it's applied in the right way? Have you seen, for example, already companies that are doing this and have received great results out of it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that what I see happening now, and this might surprise you, but uh, it's actually really interesting. But with these future of work trends the group or the department that I see having the, the quickest uptake being the most innovative besides innovation groups. I mean, of course, there, <laughs> there are innovation groups or future work groups within many companies that are obviously focusing on this stuff. But uh, I see human resources really pioneering some of these concepts yeah. with respect to it started with predictive analytics. So the use of big data. To determine who would be most successful in a particular job, sure. where you could recruit the most successful candidates, how you could determine if somebody was going to leave or stay. I mean, these were some of the really early applications of big data and predictive analytics that now every leader in every department says, oh, I want that kind of insight. So we see that happening. And also with with changing structures, HRs is working with people in different customized career arrangements. They're managing flex time. True. They are managing contract workers. So they're they're doing a lot of, of this stuff already. They're doing, they're in the L and D function. So helping to determine, do people need more technology skills? Do they need yeah. more human skills? How are we gonna provide those? So that's, that's the area where I actually see the most movement happening and they are really pioneering a lot of the stuff in the organization. And they're actually a great example of a role that's gone from very transactional to very strategic back in the day, HR consisted of a lot of like filling out paperwork and making sure people did this and then they did that. And now that's all automated. So their parts of their job have been automated away and now they're really knee deep into that talent management that human side of things making sure people are deployed in in the appropriate way. And so everyone can learn from human resources. It's funny to say, because traditionally human resources was not looked upon as being that innovative, but that is all turned around 180 degrees.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. It's um, also from from a solution side. I'm coming from the solution side. I see a Mm -hmm. lot of of amazing innovation going on in that area. Mm -hmm. And it's about indeed freeing up the skills within human resources to be that, that business partner that's what they're doing
0: exactly right that's business partner is a great way of putting it and also it's back to the original name human resources (laughs) humanity works human resources (laughs) right so
1: so if you look at kind of what you've learned from the book or what if you would summarize the book and the advice you would give to leaders what would you advise how should they for example start to think different
0: well, first of all, Tom's a great question. Recognize the need to be agile. Recognize the need to live in uncertainty, to realize that we, we can't predict the future, but all we can do is look at what's looks like it's coming down the pike and be prepared for it. Also, I think the passive attitude is really destructive. We want to be active and recognize the future is not something that happens to us. It's something that we create. And so, by focusing on these human related skills that are really important to add value. So again, those are empathy, intuition, creativity, judgment, interpersonal sensitivity, and to help develop those in our workforces. I think we are going to be a far more successful to be open to new arrangements. I see particularly people who are on the more seasoned side of things, saying, no, we still want to hire people who are local to our community here. We don't want to hire remote workers. We don't want to do virtual work. We want people on site all the time, which again, I, I have to give a caveat that having people on site sometimes is good, but uh, to have people on site all the time is not practical. And they're saying, we're not going to hire contract workers or we are, but we're not going to have a policy. We're not going to have a flex work policy. We're just going to let managers run, run amok with this. I mean, this is stuff you got to start while recognizing the need to be agile with processes, you got to have a process. Recognizing it, it will change, but you have to have one. And so, really taking steps as a leader to to face this stuff head on and and prepare for it and do it. And you can start a little bit at a time. One of the biggest cautionary tales that I have is actually around the millennial generation. I started talking about the millennials. So those are those born from 1980 to 1995 and the disruption they would cause in the workforce about 2003, when the first, the oldest ones were entering the workforce and nobody wanted to listen to this. It was like, well, the millennials are just, they'll just be like any other 20 something cohort. Like all 20 somethings are like this, like that. They're no, they're no different. We don't need to do anything. And that went on for a couple of years, that attitude until, they started to reach critical mass and companies really started struggling with how do we communicate with these folks? Like, how, how do we get them to be productive? How do we keep people who are more seasoned from quitting due to having to work with them? And it took a while for this to catch on, that it was an urgent issue, but eventually it did to the point where I'm on to millennials as leaders because the oldest ones are 38 years old and they're entering leadership positions an average of 10 years earlier than other generations. And I still get the call our millennial entry level people are driving us crazy. What do we do? And it's like, you are too late at this point. Like you're far too late. And so this is the cautionary tale. Some of these trends, most of these trends, you're not too late. You're on the cutting edge if you're paying attention. And so that's what I want everybody who reads a book to do is just to start paying attention and do little things that can help address these issues before it gets before it becomes a conflagration and goes on you know, completely on fire, so that's that's my that's my advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think we should also not look at it from a perspective of defense. I think it should also be a, a thing we should look at from an offensive perspective because if you start looking about this combination of humans and machines, mm-hmm. you're going to create a far better impact to whatever you you try to achieve than than if you would do just with humans. So. That's right. I would say it's, it's absolutely about competitive advantage.
0: That's right. The book is optimistic. People often are taken aback by that. Like, wait, you, you don't think that this is an apocalypse? It's like, no, this is an opportunity for human beings. Just like you say, like, this is going to help us do work that we enjoy and find meaningful. But we do have to adjust. It's different. Just like when the Industrial Revolution happened, everyone was really scared then. But that ended up being a good thing. <laughs> and uh, this will be too. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, from all the podcasts
1: that I've done so far, mm-hmm. amazing examples of what's already happening around mm-hmm. intelligence augmentation and creating these human machine combinations.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: right. And it's all about better and making people better. And, uh, and at the end, delivering them more fun in the workplace, but also more impact. That's beneficial to everybody. Whether yeah. you are work, a worker, whether this, this is the company you work for, or the customer you serve. That's it's, right. Yeah. Um, That's really promising at the end.
0: Mm I think so. so.
1: Exactly. So what's next for you? What what do you believe is is the next thing that's coming?
0: Well, the next thing that's coming for me is that I'm going to do more implementation work around some of these concepts. So right now we're at the trend identification and the solution identification. And now I would like to see some organizations and I'm already working with a few, taking some risks to, adjust structures and adjust processes to take these trends into account. And so I'm looking forward to doing that on a global basis. I actually find that in in areas of Europe and Asia, some companies are a little bit further ahead than where we are here in North America. So looking forward to traveling a lot and working with companies that have a global presence. I'm also really interested in how you would adopt strategies globally if you have multinational operations, because the cultural differences sure. still come into play. Exactly. And so we need to be taking those into account when we're developing our human skills. If like the human skills needed in Australia might be different than what is needed in the UK, even though technically everyone speaks English, there are subtle differences there that we need to, to take into account. When you go to India, it's very different than when you're in Brazil. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to more of that type of work to actually help companies do things on a wide scale that will allow them to be more competitive and and successful.
1: Yeah, that's what that is all about. Mm -hmm. For every vertical that you're talking about. So what is your big ask? What can the audience do for you? How can they help you?
0: Well, what the audience can do for me is take a look at the book. Let me know your thoughts, because I love the idea of crowdsourcing, right? like I don't have all the answers. I've I've done my research and homework, hopefully, but I would love to hear from people who are doing real work in this space. If you've integrated a chatbot, if you've automated a process, how's it worked out for you and to hear about real world examples of these trends in action And then if there's something you think I should have covered or didn't cover enough, or you have a different opinion, tell me, because this book is probably going to be updated in, I would say, definitely less than five years because of the content. So <laughs> I would love to include different things that the people are sending. And if you like the book and you want to write an Amazon review, that's enormously helpful for me. So please do that if, if you are so inclined and, and look me up at uh, alexandralevitt.com or Humanity humanityworksbook.com <laughs> and uh, just keep in touch. I look forward to hearing from everyone.
1: Yeah, that was my next question. Where can people go to find out more about your book, but also um, you? How can they say hello?
0: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. and that's answered. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Alexandra. This was welcome, uh, really insightful, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I think you're you, from my perspective, you're preaching to the converted because uh, this is why I'm doing this in the first place. But this is right. a really important topic, and like we said, it's not a topic about being defensive about. It's really a topic to look forward to and to embrace with both hands.
0: Yep, that's that's right. So thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
1: The pleasure was fully on my side, Alexandra. And for everybody that's listening today, thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Alexandra Leavitt, author of Humanity Works. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea the inspires the other so if you know about stories that are worth sharing please send me a message building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas and that starts with you if you want to have more information read my blogs or obtain information on working with me just visit me on my website valueinspiration.com thank you for tuning in and you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback i'll see you shortly in a new episode